We all know there are times when you don't have many choices in who you work with, like when a pipe bursts and you need a plumber right now. But when it comes to your mental health, you should have choices so you don't get stuck with a therapist who can't remember what you tell them every week. To find a good therapist for you, try ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book hundreds of types of doctors, including thousands of mental health providers. We're talking about therapists, psychologists, and psychiatrists. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of patient-reviewed in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. That's it. You can even score same-day appointments, either online or in person. I use this, and you should too. Go to ZocDoc.com stronger and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash stronger. ZocDoc.com slash stronger. On today's episode of Mentally Stronger, there are other people out there experiencing real problems, and here I am struggling with these really small things, and they sort of minimize it or feel guilty mm-hmm. about being in pain. Mm-hmm. And that's what I, re- uh, I call reverse misery trumps. So in a sense, we're, we're so compassionate as people, we can see that other people are experiencing very difficult, difficult events. And so we dismiss our own and we sort of push them under the rug a little bit. But when we do that, one, you know, that rug will start to build up with that psychological sludge. But also we do not give ourselves the opportunity to build coping mechanisms, to really start to strengthen our psychological immune system, to become mentally strong in that way. But also as well, over time, little things can become bigger things and have quite a profound impact. And another difficulty is that for a lot of my clients that I see, they may have been... Welcome to Mentally Stronger, the show that will help you develop the mental strength you need to reach your greatest potential, no matter what life throws your way. I'm Amy Morin, psychotherapist, mental strength trainer, and an international best-selling author of six books on mental strength. Every Monday, I introduce you to a guest whose story and expertise can inspire you to think, feel, and do your best in life. And the fun part is, we record it all from a sailboat in the Florida Keys. Now, let's dive into today's episode. Do you ever struggle with shame and guilt, but you don't really know why? Do you ever think you should be doing better than you are in life? Do you feel frustrated with yourself for not bouncing back from obstacles fast enough? If so, you might be dealing with the cumulative effects of tiny T traumas. Tiny T traumas are those little things that we endure that aren't necessarily life-threatening, but they still affect us. Maybe you have a coworker who rolls their eyes every time you speak in a meeting, or you got ghosted by the last person who you were in a romantic relationship with, Or you had to move because the rent went up, but you love the place that you lived. These things can all leave lasting scars, even though they don't rise to the level of what's considered big T trauma. Here to talk more about tiny T traumas is Dr. Meg Errol. Dr. Meg is a psychologist and the author of Tiny Traumas, When You Don't Know What's Wrong, But Nothing Feels Quite Right. Some of the things she talks about today are the impact tiny traumas can have on us, 
the things that work to cope with them, and how to reduce the cumulative effect tiny traumas might be having on your life. Make sure to stick around until the end of the episode for the therapist take. It's the part of the show where I'll give you my take on Dr. Mig's mental strength building strategies and share how you can start applying them to your life today. So here's Dr. Meg on how tiny traumas affect your mental health. Dr. Meg Errol, welcome to Mentally Stronger. Thank you so much. I'm so, so happy to be here. Well, I'm looking forward to talking to you about your new book, Tiny Traumas, and what that means and how it can affect us and what to do about it. But maybe a good place for us to start is to talk about what trauma really is. Mm, oh, it's such a fascinating topic, isn't it? Because we do use the word quite a lot these days, don't we? So trauma is, in, in my view and from uh, a psychological point of view, it's something that has occurred in your life that affects you in the sense it affects the way that you view the world and oftentimes the way you view yourself. And the one thing about trauma that can be really misunderstood is that the impact is the really important thing. And it's not about how big the event was, and it's not about sort of judging other people's experiences. It's the impact on the individual that counts. Yeah, our view of trauma has shifted over the years, right? Mm -hmm. It wasn't that long ago that you had to be in a life or death experience in order for people to really sort of legitimize the fact that you might have trauma. And then we learned, well, maybe you don't actually have to be the one who's in it. Maybe by watching somebody who's in a life or death experience, you witness a car accident when you're walking down the street. You might not even know the people, but that could still be traumatic for you. And our definition has sort of changed in the idea of who gets affected by trauma. And I'm glad that you brought up the fact that uh, it's about how we respond to it. Because I think mm -hmm. sometimes people are a little bit judgmental, like, why would you be traumatized by that thing? when they think, I wouldn't have been as affected as you are. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And it's important to note that our understanding of mental health, it evolves over time. So psychology is a relatively new discipline, isn't it? You know, it's, it's, it's really quite a young discipline. And when we start to research things, we oftentimes look at the most severe cases, of course, for good reason. So if we think about that, um, just in terms of mental health, for a long time, we really focused on major psychiatric conditions. Um, and then we've moved to accept and appreciate that there is a whole range of mental health experiences and phenomenon that can affect people. So we're almost doing a disservice to think that it's only the most severe events that can affect people. But also, as you say, one thing that uh, affects an individual may not affect another person for many, many reasons for their previous experience, for their resources at the time, whether it be psychological resources, social resources, and many other types of things. So in a sense, no two traumas are the same. So then when it comes to a, a major trauma, again, we often mm -hmm. talked about like a war veteran who mm -hmm. struggles to hear fireworks because maybe they have PTSD related to gunfire that they heard in war. But again, it's over, it's evolved over time. But then what would you, how would you define what makes up a tiny trauma in comparison to the, the big T trauma that other people talk about? Yeah. So when we're talking about tiny trauma, we're talking about lowercase t trauma as opposed to the uppercase or big t trauma for those very 
very difficult acute events. So when we're looking at the tiny trauma, the tiny T traumas, it's cumulative low-grade trauma that builds up over time. So it's like that psychological sludge that starts to just really clog up our emotional arteries. And it is something that, in a sense, because it is gradual, it's very insidious and it's hard to put our finger on. So in my practice, I really started to notice that people would come in, clients would come in and they would say almost on the first session, nothing that bad has really happened to me. So I don't know why I don't feel okay, or I do feel very anxious, or I do feel like I don't even feel anything at all. And I was like, this is really incredibly important. And most therapists see that on a day-to-day basis. It's just not something that's talked about in the mainstream as much. And that's where this low-grade cumulative trauma really comes into play. I'm glad you brought that up because that's something I often see in the therapy office where people will say, I was rejected for that job interview or um, online dating, which is something you talk about in your book mm-hmm. too, where people are like, you know, I keep getting rejected by people and it's starting to affect the way I see myself or uh, something this interaction I had with my boss. I keep replaying it in my head. It didn't go well. And then they feel guilty or they feel bad because they'll say, there are other people out there experiencing real problems. And here I am struggling with these really small things and they sort of minimize it or feel guilty mm-hmm. about being in pain. Mm-hmm. And that's what I re- uh, I call reverse misery trumps. So in a sense, we're, we're so compassionate as people. We can see that other people are experiencing very difficult difficult events. And so we dismiss our own and we sort of push them under the rug a little bit. But when we do that, one, you know, that rug will start to build up with that psychological sludge. But also we do not give ourselves the opportunity to build coping mechanisms, to really start to strengthen our psychological immune system, to become mentally strong in that way. But also as well, over time, little things can become bigger things and have quite a profound impact. And another difficulty is that for a lot of my clients that I see, they may have been to a GP in the UK, a primary care physician in the US, and they would have expressed what they are going through, what they are feeling. And they may not meet all the diagnostic criteria for for, uh, mental health conditions. And so again, they feel dismissed. And that compounds that sense of, oh gosh, it's not really that bad. It can't really be that bad. So very much at a loss. And swimming through this kind of soup of blame and shame and guilt. And those are the kind of emotional experiences that are very much associated with this lower tiny T trauma as well. And I hear a lot of, I should be coping with this better. Or somebody mm-hmm. says, you know, it was just an interview or it was just a, a comment that my cousin made to me. I shouldn't be up this upset by it. And then they start to feel guilty and blame themselves. Mm-hmm. And that does start that downward spiral or I have so many people that walk into my therapy office again, feeling Mm -hmm. guilty that they're there because they think somebody with a bigger problem could be using this space right now. But yet here I am taking up your time. What are some other concrete examples of things maybe that create a, a tiny trauma for us? 
And and that's the thing because individuals, they may have a range, I call it a constellation of tiny T trauma. And interspersed with that, there can be some bigger T trauma or major life events. So someone that we we love could have passed away. We could have been through a divorce. Um, we know that even moving house is incredibly stressful. So it's helping us to raise awareness of how our tiny T trauma has really um, impacted the way, as I say, that we feel about ourselves and the world. Now, in my own experience, um, when I was uh, a teenager, I, I was quite unwell. I was, I was off school quite a lot because I had a range of symptoms, went to many, many different medical doctors and was really very, very much fobbed off. And it took me 25 years to actually find a diagnosis. So all of that time going into different medical practitioners, and as I say, sometimes being treated appallingly um, and quite misogynistically as well, built up over time that I started to question my own reality. So that type of gaslighting, often when it's from a individual that should be in a place of authority, like a doctor, can have a profound impact on us. Um, and as I say, it wasn't just one experience of that. It was years and years and years impacted both my mental health and my physical health. And when I finally found a correct diagnosis, it was quite notable. It really was amazing how that shifted my mindset. And I thought, again, this is really important because it was that long period of time where that self-doubt had built up and become to a point something that was causing me anxiety. And that's a good example. Unfortunately, it's a common one where people feel like mm-hmm. they, they don't get diagnosed with a condition or it gets misdiagnosed and they spend mm-hmm. years trying to trying to feel like they're heard when they're talking to people. Let's pause for a quick minute to get a word from our sponsor. An electrolyte imbalance can cause headaches, fatigue, cramps, brain fog, and weakness. I know because I learned the hard way. Like a lot of people, I avoid eating too much processed food and I drink plenty of water, which is healthy, but it also depletes your brain and your body of the sodium that they need to function at their best. So I started drinking Element, a zero sugar electrolyte drink mix that's free of artificial colors and other dodgy ingredients. Having my electrolytes back in balance has cured my brain fog and I have a lot more energy. I love all the flavors like watermelon salt, but now I'm also a fan of the new Element Chocolate Medley, which is meant to be enjoyed hot. My favorite flavor is chocolate mint, I love to drink it in the cool evenings on my sailboat. If you want to see how much better Element can make you feel, try it risk-free. Order it for yourself, and if you don't like it, give it away, and they'll give you your money back. No questions asked. And right now, members of the Mentally Stronger community can receive a free Element sample pack with any order. Just go to drinkelement.com stronger to claim your sample pack. That's drinklmnt.com slash stronger. Do you want to get high quality meat delivered straight to your house? Or in my case, a sailboat? Try ButcherBox. It saves me time and money. And if you order right now, Mentally Stronger listeners can get steak, chicken, or salmon free in every single order for an entire year. I love that ButcherBox offers grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, and wild-caught seafood. There are no antibiotics or added hormones. 
They even offer vegetarian options. ButcherBox lets you decide how often you want deliveries, and you can pick a curated plan, or you could completely customize your box. Sign up at butcherbox.com stronger and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer, plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com stronger and use code STRONGER to choose your free-for-a-year offer. Plus, get $20 off your first order. Mm-hmm. In our minds, do you think we should separate the big T traumas from the little T traumas? Or should, is it okay to just acknowledge, hey, that this happened to me and that was traumatic? I, I would ask, what would be the function of separating the big T trauma from the little T trauma? So in conversations with clients, we would explore that. We would explore that. And for some clients, there may be a, a usefulness to that. In general, though, it is about the impact. It very much is about the impact it has. And again, when we come to the point where we're in the present, it can be more useful to see what effect it is having on us. So in, in my practice in the book, I collated a number of presentations, called them themes. So these are things that I see on a frequent basis um, and very much related to that sense of, I'm not really sure why I'm here. Should I be here? You know, is there, is there validation to what I'm experiencing? And high function anxiety is something I see quite a lot. So it is feeling very anxious a lot of the time, but still being able to carry out what we call our activities of daily living. So you can still go to work, you can still take care of your family, but it's hard, it's effortful and feeling that sense of anxiety a lot of the time. And that's the place that I was in actually. Also, low-grade depression or emotional blunting. Again, if you go to the doctor, you probably won't meet all the criteria because the activities of daily living is a very important criteria, but just feeling numb, very numb to the world. Not feeling... I, I had this one client, I remember, who, who came in and he said, you know, Dr. Meg, I'm not depressed. I'm too intelligent to be depressed. I thought that was so interesting um, and quite controversial in that way, but he meant that he could still do his job. He could still have conversations with people. He actually was still seeing friends and things like this, but he wasn't feeling anything. Not, uh, not hopeless or helpless, but also not not happy, not not joyful. So that emotional blunting is 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 a common one as well. But then things like maladaptive perfectionism, and I use the phrase maladaptive there or the word maladaptive there, because perfectionism in some situations can be beneficial, which is why people find it very hard to let go of. So it's being selective about when it's working for you and serving you, and when it's not really. Imposter syndrome is a big one that we see again. And actually, traditionally in psychological training, that's not something that is is taught very much, but it's what I see in my practice. And then difficulties with managing life's transitions, which is, is something that's really common, actually, and that I see see quite a lot. So, of course, there are things like the menopause, but, but there's some amazing research about just turning 30, that kind of quarter-life transition, especially with the way the world is right now, where it's very, very challenging to hit those milestones and to meet those timescales on the social clock. And again, there's that sense of, 
what's wrong with me? I haven't done this. I'm not doing it right. And that sense of, of guilt around not meeting those milestones and shame that one hasn't. And all of those symptoms that you listed, sometimes those result from major trauma too, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. they can also happen when we experience those tiny T traumas. And the reason I asked about whether we should like separate them in our head or not uh, is to, I guess, take a look at our anxiety in terms of, you know, was my life actually in danger or not? Or did this affect mm -hmm. my, my self-worth? Was it a, a something that affected my social life? But also I think when people are talking to other people, they struggle with this because they'll be mm -hmm. like, I don't really want to say I was, I don't want to tell my cousin I was traumatized by the fact I didn't get that promotion because my cousin, well, they actually had a life or death experience two years ago. And maybe I'm mm. minimizing their pain if I say, no, we were both traumatized. How do you recommend people approach that subject if they're talking to somebody else about perhaps their little T trauma? And I think using some of those phrases is really important. So saying it's little t, it's tiny t, lowercase t, and it's something that does happen over time because with, with that case, generally it won't just be that one, one experience. It will be built on quite a few difficulties. And, and in particular, things to do with work, there are often a series of microaggressions and that kind of impact of implicit bias that really does affect people over time. But again, we can, we can just look at it at a different perspective and talk about the impact because there we will find similarities. So say an individual is talking to their cousin, they may have a similar symptomology in terms of feeling anxious. And by looking at the similarities, we can actually increase that group cohesion and the social support. And we know that social support is one of those things in the body of research we have in psychology that always comes up as being very protective to mental health. Yes. And I think because so many people are kind of, they feel bad about their uh, response to a tiny T trauma, it prevents them from talking about it or they'll yeah. feel like they're, you know, making a, a mountain out of a molehill or that other mm -hmm. people are going to dismiss their pain, which in some cases might be true when somebody says, mm -hmm. oh yeah, well, listen to what I've been through. What, what you went through wasn't that bad. So I would love to talk more about how do we cope with it when we know, all right, mm. we're struggling with certain things in life and we have all of these tiny T traumas that add up over time. We know what the symptoms are, but what do we do about it? And as you just to go back on that point as well, just to, to zoom out and have the realization, the awareness that actually trauma, psychological trauma used to be dismissed. It took a long time for us to really understand the impact it has on, on individuals. So we now just assume that we've always felt this way about psychological, psychological trauma, but no, 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 we, we didn't. People were very poorly treated who had experienced um, big T trauma. So when we look at it in that lens, we can see we're just moving along this continuum now and we're gaining a more nuanced view of trauma, big trauma, little trauma, life events, and seeing them within this continuum. And as I say, we will all have our own unique constellation of trauma in that sense. But yeah, good point. So what, what do we do about it? Absolutely. Um, 
in my practice, I developed a three-stage process, which is dynamic, so we can move between these stages um, based on uh, practice and psychological research. So it's a AAA process or AAA approach, and the three A's stand for awareness, acceptance, and action, which, Amy, I know you'll be very aware of, of, of the importance of all these areas. And these, um, this process is beneficial for whatever presentation of tiny t trauma that someone is experiencing. So if it is high-function anxiety, if it is emotional blunting, or even things like sleep difficulties in terms of behavioral difficulties can be incredibly useful. And so you started with awareness, right? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that's something that after a while we just get used to. And you talk about this in your book, how we just sort of Mm -hmm. think that how we're functioning right now or there's struggles we experience that that they're kind of normal, right? How do we become more aware of the impact that uh, the tiny T traumas are having on us? It's often so much easier to really look at how it's affecting our behavior because, as you say, we almost can get a little bit stuck in our own heads. And I often find clients are almost a bit stuck in this awareness stage as well. So always look, looking and looking and looking. But the important thing here is the awareness of the impact of the tiny T traumas on an individual. Because as we said at the the start, what we tend to do is dismiss how these things have affected us. So being aware that low-grade cumulative trauma does have an impact and having the validation of that is incredibly important in the awareness stage. But then doing a little bit of psychological work to see how your constellation fits with you and how it has impacted you. Sometimes, Amy, that is so um, eye-opening and profound that it just allows people to talk, as you say, to be able to open up and to be able to move through the other stages. So yes, that's the first, that's the first part. Now the second, the second phase, acceptance, is the one that I see people struggle with the most. I'm not sure in your practice, but it can be really, really hard. And there's a lot of awareness now. There's just so much mental health information. Some of it's, you know, very good quality. Some of it um, needs to be a bit more robust, but there's not a lot of discussion around that acceptance piece. And so oftentimes people will find the awareness, think, okay, yes, I, I, I can see that these things have affected me, Dr. Meg. Um, what do I do about it straight away? And they jump from awareness straight into action. And what happens then is to try quite a lot of different techniques and they'll work for a little bit as a bit of a sticking plaster and they'll move back into the awareness stage. So it's a little bit of a difficult feedback loop there. With the awareness comes that, uh, sorry, with the acceptance comes that freedom because we can say, no, I can't change the past. I, I can't change the past, but I can use that information to help me to have a future that is content and fulfilling. Let's pause for a quick minute to get a word from our sponsor. So just to be clear, when it comes to acceptance, it's about accepting that yes, the past happened, but you don't necessarily have to accept the impact that it had on you is going to last forever, right? Oh, So if you get rejected (laughs) for something, it affects your self-esteem. You don't have to say, okay, well, I'm going to accept that I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. We don't want to accept that at all, right? 
No, that's why we have the third action stage, because it is about forward momentum and movement. And so with that about, it's using that information and having that profound sense of acceptance. But with that, there's a willingness to make changes and actions are so, so important there. Because what we really want to do is we want to give people this psychological toolkit to be able to carry through for the rest of their lives so that when other tiny T traumas happen or major life events or big T traumas, they have the resources to be able to cope and to feel very empowered to have a high level of self-efficacy can't say it, high level of self-efficacy and that internal locus of control that we know, you know what, tough things can happen, but I'm going to be okay. And I like the idea of then moving to action. Sometimes we Mm -hmm. think, I'll do that when I feel better. Or somebody will come Mm -hmm. into my therapy office and think, you know, if I just need you to, to give me enough confidence so I can apply for a new job or I can go back to college. But how do you get confidence? Probably not by sitting on a couch and talking. Sometimes it's about taking action first, right? Mm -hmm. And when you take Mm -hmm. that action, it shifts the way that you feel. It shifts the way you think. And it really helps you to see, okay, perhaps there's a different future possible for me. Absolutely. And, you know, we we use these kind of techniques a lot in terms of behavioral activation. It's like oftentimes we can think, oh, we must change our thoughts first. It's like, no, 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 we, we can make that step. We can make that step. And that's why the process is dynamic. And sometimes reaching that action stage feeds back to the awareness stage in a positive way. And we can build on it and we can really build on that. But what I would like to to also perhaps pause on a minute is in terms of psychological strength, in terms of mental health, um, we are moving towards this more nuanced understanding, but mental fitness is just like physical fitness. So, so say we bought a gym membership and went a couple of times. Well, we kind of know we're not really going to be that fit, don't we? But we can have we can have times in our lives where we think, well, I'll just I'll just access some psychological support just for a bit. And the assumption that we'll be okay forever and we'll be sort of psychological and emotionally fit forever. No, we do need to keep working at it because we need to keep using that emotional and psychological muscle so that it is really fit. So integrating some of those actions into day-to-day practice to think about, well, what is the maintenance phase here? Because we often don't talk about that. We we talk about having a uh, therapeutic intervention and then just kind of exiting the intervention and, and being okay forever. No, let's think about prevention as well in terms of psychological fitness because it's so very important. So what are some of the actions, some examples of actions that you might encourage people to take when they're noticing, okay, and they're aware, and then they're able to say, all right, I accept that this happened, but what do I do about it? Can you give some concrete examples of that? So in the book, there are different examples for different presentations, but one thing I really like to explore with all of my clients is is um, the concept of an emotobiome. So we know a lot about the, the gut um, microbiome and the, the impact that 
all of these little microorganisms we have within the gut impact our health. Now, when we think about emotions, we tend to think some emotions are good and some emotions are bad. But actually, we need the full range of human emotion to be able to build that level of psychological strength. When we try and just push aside some unpleasant emotions, what happens is we can kind of get very caught in that psychological sludge. So to, to think about, you know, am I experiencing all of life's emotions? And really easy ways we can do this is the use of, say, say music. So I often work with, with my clients to put together um, an emotions or feelings playlist and say, not just your favorite songs, but songs that trigger a range of different emotional experiences to allow ourselves to feel okay with the sadness, okay with the sorrow, that that is part of being a human being so that when difficult things happen with us, we don't just try and push it away. We don't just try and run away. We can we can use some strategies with that. So yes, that emotobiome, it's full of things that, emotions that may feel difficult and ones that feel really good. And it's the diversity of those emotions that build that psychological strength. I'm glad you brought that up because I see a lot of people who feel like when something bad happens, there's pressure to like pop right back up, act like, no, I'm, I'm good. Nothing. I'm not scarred from that at all. See how strong I am. And they kind of think that that's a shining example of mental strength, that they went through something really hard and they don't have any scars from it. And it's mm. often that desire to avoid any emotion at all. Like, I don't want to be sad or I don't want to be upset. And I certainly don't want to show it to anybody else. And then it still there and it's still bothering mm -hmm. them on the surface, but they're trying to keep it down as much as they can. And then years later, they're really still struggling with it because they never mm -hmm. healed from it. So I'm mm -hmm. glad that you brought that up, that it's good to feel a wide range of emotions and let yourself feel that. Mm -hmm. and, indeed. And, and I think there's some confusion because when we talk about resilience, we often, or it's often talked about in terms of bouncing back. That's not really what resilience is. Resilience is taking a moment, pausing, and being able to build some coping strategies within our mental health to be able to have that psychological strength to move forward. So it's just, it is, it's just that sort of psychoeducation piece. You know what? Resilience can be built, but we're not, we're not supposed to pretend like nothing bad ever happens. It doesn't, it's not helpful for, for any of us. Us. So to be able to be a bit more real about life and that it can be really hard and that's okay. That is okay. It can feel unpleasant to sit with those emotions, but that is okay. And what tends to happen because we've allowed that space for healing, when we do have those moments of those more pleasant emotions, they are actually more acute in that sense. And we can pause on them as well. And we can bank those in our memories and use those too. So I'm a big proponent to feel all of your feels, regardless of whether they are positive or they, whether they feel unpleasant. And that's one of the big takeaways from your book. Whatever you feel is okay. And you don't have to mm -hmm. shame yourself for feeling bad or guilt yourself or try to talk yourself into feeling better it's okay. We just need coping strategies to deal with those mm -hmm. uncomfortable emotions as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I always say there's a reason that we like the sad, sad songs. 
Um, and it's because it gives us that safe place to actually experience that difficult emotion. It, it really does. And the more that we move along this kind of more comprehensive view of mental health, the easier it will be for us to talk about things that are difficult, to not feel like we have to bounce back, as it were, to really be able to think, actually, these these are really important, important aspects of, of the human experience. And that brings a depth of color to our life in itself. I absolutely agree. Dr. Meg Carroll, thank you so much for being on Mentally Stronger. I hope that everybody goes out and picks up a copy of Tiny Traumas. Thank you so much, Amy. Welcome to The Therapist Take. Let's break down some of Dr. Meg's strategies and talk about how you can apply them to your life today. Here are three of my favorite strategies that she shared. Number one, accept that tiny traumas will impact your mental health. There's a saying that goes, dripping water hollows out stone. Tiny traumas are the same. Repeated and compounded over time, it wears you down the same way that dripping water can eventually wear down stone. If you're struggling to cope, it's not a sign of weakness. It might mean that you need to do a shift or you might need to do things differently or take some sort of action to prevent more damage and heal your wounds. But you won't be able to do any of that as long as you're telling yourself that you shouldn't be struggling so much or you should be able to handle things better. Accept that things have affected you and then you can move forward with a plan. Number two, embrace a wide range of emotions. I was glad that Dr. Meg talked about the importance of embracing all sorts of emotions, including the uncomfortable ones. A lot of people have the idea that we should be happy all the time, and if we're not, there's something wrong with us. But you can't really experience and enjoy pleasurable emotions like happiness unless you also allow yourself to experience the uncomfortable ones, like sadness and anxiety. In fact, an interesting thing happens when you let yourself experience uncomfortable emotions. They stop feeling so scary, and then they don't hold so much power over you. You can learn to treat an uncomfortable emotion kind of like a headache, and just trust that it isn't going to last forever. And number three... Practice a whole variety of coping skills. There's not a one-size-fits-all approach to healing or dealing with uncomfortable feelings. That's why it's important to get proactive and experiment with a bunch of different things. Reading a book might help you relax after a long day. Going for a walk in the morning might help you start your day off right. Or writing in a gratitude journal might get you in a good headspace. We do know from research that social support is a key ingredient to helping people get through tough times, including major traumatic events. So don't buy into the idea that you don't have time to meet up with friends or family. It's essential to good mental health and having social support can combat a lot of the effects of stress. So those are three of Dr. Meg's strategies you can start using today. Accept that tiny T traumas impact mental health embrace a wide variety of emotions, and practice a variety of coping skills. To learn more about Dr. Meg's work, pick up a copy of her book, Tiny Traumas, when you don't know what's wrong, but nothing feels quite right. Thank you for hanging out with me today and for listening to the Mentally Stronger podcast. 
If you like the show, leave us a review on Apple or Spotify. That's one of the best ways to help us get our show in front of other people so that we can make the world a stronger place. And if you want more tips on building mental strength, subscribe to Mentally Stronger Premium. You'll get weekly bonus episodes where I answer your questions about everything from relationship problems and addictions to family dilemmas and mental health issues. You'll also get access to our private community where you can get support for building mental strength. And I'll give you lots of exclusive extras for being a premium subscriber. Sign up at mentallystronger.supercast.com or just click on the link in the show notes. And if you know somebody who could benefit from learning more about mental strength, share this show with them. Simply sharing a link to this episode could help someone feel better and grow stronger. And as always, a big thank you to my show's producer, who's been busy voting for who he thinks should win Grammys this year because he's so cool that he gets to be one of the people who picks the winners, Nick Valentine. <laughs> <laughs>